Hi, Gary here. This episode with rugby league star and mental health campaigner Stevie Ward is just so special. He's such a powerful storyteller. He paints vivid pictures that bring you right into the moment. For a guy trained to put his body on the line, he's remarkably in touch with his emotions and his vulnerability. And he's got an extraordinary personal story to tell. This is not really a conversation about sports. It's a conversation about challenge and adversity, aloneness and togetherness, redemption and triumph. This is an episode that is going to give you that and so much more. Sit back and enjoy this memorable conversation with the incredible Stevie Ward. And it gets to the last five minutes and we fall behind and I take a ball from one of my teammates. I run to the line and I try to step off my right foot. But as I do, my knee just crumples beneath me. Just crumples beneath me. And all of a sudden my ACL has gone so much. My meniscus, my cartilage is all shot. And there's so many things running through my head. One of them's thinking, are we going to win? And then the next thing, the doctor runs in screaming because I've just heard the biggest eruption from the stadium that I'd heard. And he's telling me Ryan Hall scored, our winger, one of the best wingers in the world, he scored in the dying seconds in the most famous dramatic tries ever in rugby league. And then it dawns on me, I'm just like, what about me? And I was left, I was left looking for answers because I didn't have that answer of what I had before. And I was lost. I was so lost. And there's, there's a few moments in and around this period which significantly altered me. Sat on the floor with my back to the bed and it was sort of dark in the room and the, the windows was like looking over like Birmingham City. Um, and there was a bit of light coming through and I can remember just thinking, I felt so shocking, I felt so bad and I thought, if I can get out of this, not even thinking that I wanted to get out of it, I didn't even have the drive to get out of it. But if I could, and I could find a way, then I would have to help people with it. And it was like it was like almost that that why was was born in that moment. And I'm twenty-two years old. And I can remember just searching for context on my phone, searching for context, just like, why do I feel like this? And I found my way to some 
website um, which was talking about Dark Knight of the Soul. And I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God. And, it, and, and almost like this tick box is where I'd felt. And one phrase that it said was, and it, and it, it completely changed me in a moment. It said, happiness is right under your nose. And I was like, of course it is. <laughs> you know, I was like, of course it is. And in and, and this moment where I felt the worst ever, the most suffering, you know, it pierced through the membrane of, of, of how I felt right through to the heart. And I realized that my mom and dad were sat right under me, <laughs> you know, in, in the living room and the German Shepherd were in there. And one of my teammates, one of my childhood heroes at Ryan Hall, who was coming to pick me up from, from mom and dad's home to go to England again. I'm like, ah, there it is. <laughs> My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Now, today we have a very special guest for a very important conversation. I just come off stage at a recent speaking event, and this quiet, softly spoken young man came up to me and said, maybe I can come and tell my story on your podcast. As I learned more and more about his journey, it blew me away. Stevie Ward is a keynote speaker and former professional rugby league player, part of the golden generation at the Leeds Rhinos, one of the most successful teams in Super League history. Stevie became the youngest grand final winner ever, going on to win two more grand finals and two Challenge Cups, and was named captain at just 26. In UK elite sport, he's a huge name. In 2019, Stevie suffered a head injury in a game against Wigan. He was diagnosed with debilitating concussion, which led to him retiring from the game at just 27 at the start of 2020. His long journey of physical and mental recovery from brain injury through lockdown and beyond has shaped a passion for opening up the conversation about mental health. Throughout all the winning and losing in life, Stevie believes that the truest form of resilience is to realise the potential of our true selves. Stevie put this to the test by leading culture meetings as captain of the Rhinos team. Promoting authenticity formed championship-winning teams and formidable relationships. He channeled his own mental health challenges into mentality, a movement where men can be vulnerable, address our mental health, and then take up the responsibility to do something about it, to go find meaning and purpose within our lives. 25% of people in the UK suffer with a mental health problem each year, so mentality is committed to donating 25% of all profits 
to offering immediate psychological support to young people who need it. And Stevie launched the Mentality Podcast to discuss mental health openly and freely with athletes at the top of their game and role model celebrities. I've listened, and it's a really great conversation. Stevie's is a tough journey, but I'm so impressed with how he's turned personal adversity into a mission to make a difference around mental health. I can't wait for this conversation and to hear about the unlocked moments of remarkable clarity that shaped his path along the way. Stevie Ward, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Wow, brilliant to be on there. I can't wait for this chat. Fantastic. Now, beginnings are important, and I think this question is a powerful lens on people's deepest underlying sense of purpose. Where do we need to start in your story to understand the person you are today? I'll take you right back, I think, to when I was about eight or nine years old, and magically I'd find myself on a rugby pitch, and I would I'd catch a ball, and naturally I'd gravitate towards what was a defensive line you know, of, of opposition players. And in my mind, there would be a gang of men that wanted to grab me, throw me to the ground and <laughs> jump on top of me, you know. And I, I would naturally gravitate towards this line. As soon as I'd come in touch, into touch and distance of it, I'd veer towards the right, almost sideways, and I'd shape my body up to the sky. And before I ran out of ground, I'd stamp my right foot down and cut into this defensive line. And, you know, there's that moment where you sort of, Bracing for contact, holding the ball, closing your eyes, and you're praying that you get through this contact and not get sat on your ass, as we'd say in the north of England. So I managed to sort of like feel my weight transfer into the other side of this line. And I can remember the moments of these arms trailing at my waist, losing grip and these fingernails scragging at my neck, trying to pull me back to the other side of this line. But as soon as I put my foot down on the other side, I put my head back and I see the blue skies of Leeds roll into the green fields in front of me. And I'd, I'd, I'd put my foot on the gas and I'd hear, clear as day, my mum from the touchline screaming, go on, Stevie! I remember it. I remember it. And I remember that connection. I remember this, this, this like field of possibility that opened up in front of me, this freedom and exploration. And it, all of a sudden, I'd swagger towards the fullback, who was the last line of defence between me and the try line. And I'd act on a daydream that I'd had four days before in math class. And I'd drop the ball onto my foot. I'd chip it over the top of him. I'd run around the side of him. I'd catch it. And then I'd sprint home, I like to call it, to the try line. And I'd get to the try line. I'd leap over it. I'd use the ball as my landing gear. And I'd skid to a stop. And... You know, all, the, all those sensations, that smell of fresh-cut grass, it'd be there. And right there in that moment, I'd feel like everything was just right. And I'd get up, I'd see all my teammates running towards me, wide-eyed, jumping for joy, and I'd be like, how good is that? You know, how good is this? And I say that story, I say it in a lot of my keynote talks, because it helps me going back to that, the heart, you know? to then do the rest of the talk, but it also helps other people understand what I was doing at such a young age and the way that I'd, I'd venture through this fear, just like intuitively venture through it, whether I, I'd get smashed up, whether it's on the field, whether it's off the field. I'd just, I'm just like going through it and, and like going to the extreme, you know? And, and I think the reason for why that extreme meant so much to me and why I'd continue to do it for so many years after that is hearing my mum from the touchline 
I I think I reflect and look back now and I believe that because it made my mum happy, I could feel that elation. It was very different to, to what it was like at home where sometimes I'd be walking on eggshells a little bit because my mum had a tough life, tough job, tough upbringing. And a lot of the time she'd have this face where she'd be ruminating, she'd be distressed, she'd be worrying. And as a kid, I didn't really know what to do with that, you know? Um, but I didn't know what to do on the field and it was just so obvious to me. The only thing I need to do was get out of the way and let it happen. You know, <laughs> it's like, and, and, and for me, that, that anecdote has been such an amazing lens to look at life from there on, you know. I've done many of these interviews. I don't think I've ever heard such a good answer to my question number one in a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, I've, I've gone through the line again, mate. You've made me happy now. You've just replaced my mum. So you know. I think that I was a professional ballroom dancer, which is about as far removed as a sport from professional rugby league as you can get. Um, and although there is quite a lot, there's quite a lot of contact. We're just wearing tail suits at the time. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think is a real challenge for a lot of people is is to understand the mindset of like a rugby player, American football player, you know, an Aussie rules football player. The mentality of, of, of people who are really going to put their body on the line for something they're deeply passionate about. And I think in your answer just there, you're bringing to life actually that sense of elation, what it feels like when you break through the line, that sense of elation when you hit the try line. Was, did that stay with you as, as you continue through and, and you know, made it through to elite level? Was that always there or were there times when it didn't feel like that? Oh, that's such a good question. A lot of the time growing up, I was, you know, I was called Stevie Ward and I'd be getting called Stevie Wonder in the papers. And, you know, I'm growing up, coming through the ranks in Leeds, you know, in, in the heartland of rugby league and playing these games and almost getting this pressure on me and this expectation. And I'd be like, right, well, I'm going to prove I'm right. You know, I'm going to prove I'm right. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep busting through the line. And I kept going and, and eventually, obviously, played first team at 18 years old and played in the biggest stadiums that we've got over here at Old Trafford, Manchester United's arena uh, stadium and then Wembley. And I was like living this dream where I probably should have still been at home dreaming it. And many moments in and around that youthfulness, I had that feeling of going through the line. I had that bite and I had that like no nonsense, like and, and real like, I guess, healthy disrespect to being old, not being able, not wanting to venture through the fear, you know, and, and that, that, that almost naivety as well. You know, I had that. And then as I got older, I picked up more and more injuries. And you also understand how you have to fit into a team. And I had this, I was playing in the golden generation. So I had some of the best players that we've seen in England and sometimes in the, in the world. And you go, right, well, this part that, is a bit more adventurous. Maybe I need to dial down on that a little bit because we've got players that are doing that and they're in the position to do it. But maybe my role now is more tackling and more smashing into people and doing part of that. So that became a big part of my game, which was tackling and, and the grunt, you know, where you're stopping people instead of going through yourself. And there were flashes of it in my career. And, and they always came when... I'd surprise 
myself, never mind the opposition, if that makes sense. It was like the, the way that we played as a team at Leeds as well was, and it's something that I bring into my keynotes is, and I call it the authenticity game plan. And I talk about the way that we'd have some structure, we'd have a, an area of the field that we want to get to, to then put on this wide expansive move. But one of the phrases that we'd have in, in the game was, look, if we get a quick play the ball, if, if we're playing quick, all bets are off. And then that was the moment, you know, like that, that moment behind the line. Like, where, where's this going? Where's, it, where's this move? Where's this play going to happen? Where are we going to score? And everyone all of a sudden comes alive. And, you know, that's what is sending tingles up my neck, just speaking about it. That's what I believe we're all there for as players. And that's what motivates us. And also that's what motivates people to come and watch. You know, that, that's, that's the magic for me. One of the fascinating things for me about watching rugby league is that if you if you compare with rugby union, it, it's I think it's a more brutal form of the game. There's more hits, there's harder hits, um, and it's that sort of sequence that it's the, that's the nature of the game. And then you hit these moments of incredible flow where the team moves so fast, the ball moves so fast, um, and and it's this kind of paradox that you can see the the physical impact on the players, I mean, the size of players these days, are, you know, compared with 20, 30 years ago is, is, is hugely different. And we'll come on to the, you know, the impact of all of that. But I was, in, I was on a podcast yesterday talking actually about coaching and dancing. And we were talking about flow and that idea of when it's really good, people are not thinking about this is the next thing I have to do. Let's go and do that thing. When we've done it, we'll notice that we've done it. It's just happening. It's just in the moment. Yeah, it excites me, mate. So I speak, I speak to young athletes now, and they get so distracted. You know, they're like thinking about, I've got to be here, I've got to be doing this, I've got to. Why just think about those moments where you just stepped up to the plate and you just did it out your own back and just said, "Give me the in ball," and and it just happens from there. You know, and it's so funny, mate. You're talking about dancing because part of my life and one of the most amazing parts of my life over the last few years despite the migraines and dizziness and leaving the game um, is meeting my partner who was a contemporary dancer. And like, as you said, there's some differences in the way that you, you perform, I guess. But there's also some similarities, you know, getting, getting up for this thing and, and the discipline, the, the, the work ethic. And I've seen so many... It makes me think of an Alan Watts quote where he says, you know, life's not a destination. And it's not even a journey. It's actually a dance. Because you don't go to a dance to see, see it finish and stop. You go to be in it. You go to be in this thing. And I'm like thinking about rugby and I'm like, this is what we're doing. All these players were charging to the line and waiting for the response and waiting for our own intuition to, to play upon this game. And, yeah, man, it, it made me see things very differently and also allowed me to see what actually drives us, you know, and, and, and it, it pretty much it's looking back for those moments when you're younger, you know. God, that's so interesting. Um, I don't know whether you know this, but I, I'm on the board of um, a couple of organisations in the Rombert universe and contemporary dance. When you said right at the beginning, when I was eight years old, and I was approaching the line, I dropped my shoulder, and I turned my body to the sky. It's the same body awareness of a dancer. I think you'd be a great contemporary dancer. That's the thing. 
I don't know whether you've ever tried it, but we, we, this we want to see. <laughs> well, mate, uh, oh, I've, I've, I've tried it a little bit, mate, and, and, and Natalie says I'm, I'm pretty good. She says I'm pretty – well, she, she actually stands back and she just, like, shakes her head. She's like, why are you good at that? <laughs> like, what do you mean, good at what? <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> and it's um, I've 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 done it as uh, man. This is one other thing. I'm I'm not scared of trying things, uh, and I, I've done it in a way for the last couple of years to realise that I'm walking around with <laughs> coming out of the game, and there's a part of myself that I had to stay quiet for a long time. I guess the that sort of little boy that. Had this mission of being coming a rugby player and, and all the stuff that you sacrifice, I guess in terms of emotions and feelings and voicing concerns, you you quieting them down. And I got to this point a couple of years ago when I'm not playing anymore, and I, I'm just full of emotion, like, and I can feel it in my body and I feel it in my chest and I feel it in around my diaphragm, and it was making me unconfident. It was making me obviously anxious. I'm to this point where I'm like, what's what's going on here? And it's I had to, I just had to journal for like three hours on these prompts about basically reconnecting with that that little boy that's you've parked a little bit because you're in a creek, the bully takes over, this drive to be the best takes over. And once that didn't have so much of an avenue, I had some some stuff to to um to reconnect with and and I tried dancing for that, funny enough, man. I just went into it and just just gave a bit of playful playfulness back, you know. One of the reasons why I love contemporary dance, which I I, I did a tiny amount of as part of my journey in mainly in ballroom dancing, which I studied. Like you, I studied what I do at the age of four, so I was very, very young when I started dancing. Um what I love about contemporary dance is there are no rules. And the best dancers, you know, they can do literally anything. It's not like ballet or warm dancing where there are certain steps, there's certain technique, you've got to meet a certain technique. Um, and it, it brings you back again to the, to the eight-year-old instinctive rugby player where over the years, I'm sure you would have become much, much more expert and knowledgeable about the, the best ways to play the game, the best ways to see and the best ways to, you know, to, to execute a certain play. And yet, at the highest level, the instinctive ability to just break all the rules and do do the thing nobody's expecting you to do. There's a really interesting connection with with with, with that. Yeah, it's, it's it's so relevant. It's so relevant, and it, that's that's what I think excites me going forward now. And and realizing that almost it's not adding anything. Like you know, there's usual stuff that we are, we grow up, we've got, you know, we, we, we siphoned into discipline and hard work and sacrifice and, and all those things create a great team, but sometimes you add too much, you know, you add too much and sometimes it's about taking things away and that's what I get really excited about because it's like what's left then is just the heart and intuition and the thing that goes onto that field and will not miss a tackle. It will not miss a tackle, you know, come rain or shine. And the best thing it wants to do is, is, is go forward for your teammates. When you look back on your career, is there a moment in a game that, that comes to mind when you think, that was, that was it, that was me at my absolute peak in that moment? 
Yeah, I, th- I think there is. And it, it comes in line with what we're talking about. And I don't know why, uh, but we'd come out for the second half and we were losing. And it was in and around this, this period where we were playing this game plan, which promoted us to, to go to the line and support each other to the line, to the defensive line, in the, in the thick of it, in the teeth of it. And I remember just after the second half, about two minutes in, um, one of my good teammates and, and good friends that I lived with, actually, he'd gone to the line and sort of got an arm free, which meant that another tackler come in to try and grab the ball and cover the ball off him. And as he's reached the ball out, he's, I've just like sprinted into this guy. And I, I'd come from the other side of the field. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? All of a sudden, I'm sprinting into this guy. He's popped the ball up. He's just fallen perfect for me. And I'm just like... Picked it up, burst through this line, and all of a sudden I'm like in full, full tilt, going towards the fullback, and I swerve away towards the fullback, and the winger comes from the side of the pitch to come and eclipse, eclipse us. And all of a sudden I've, I've never, I've never even done this in training. Never mind, never mind in the game. I'm lifting the ball up, and I'm carrying it like in, in my wrist and, and squeezing it together with my hand and my wrist, and I just pop it over the top to the winger almost like a basketball pass and they scores and, and everyone's celebrating. I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, where did that come from? You know? And then what we want to do is as elite athletes, you want to say, ah, oh, well, you know, I've been trading that with that pass for, you know, for, for weeks on end and um, I train for, for different moments like that. And it's half true, you know, it's half true which I guess the first half of it I've probably done in training, but that second half, I'm like, where did that? It just came from somewhere, you know? And as I said, like, like the first, first thing, I just had to get out of the way and just let it happen. Now, those of you that are listening on audio, you can't obviously see Stevie, but I can see Stevie and I can, I can tell you how much he's physically lit up telling these stories and it's just it's amazing. <laughs> oh, mate, I love it. <laughs> Bring me into, you know, the, the time when it started to change um, and you started to have more of those issues with, with injuries. And w- what did that journey start to look like in, in your career? Yeah. So I think one of the big, the first big injuries I had was playing for the under 20s and I was about 17. And I'd, I'd torn my syndes morsi ligament, which is basically a massive ligament that ties your tib and fibula bottom of your ankle together and I spent a lot of time in a boot um, and it was like the first big injury so you can, you can almost like say that well, was part, part and parcel of it you know and then a couple and a year after that I'd played at Wembley and, and won a grand final at Old Trafford and I was having like this real stint of success um, after that and I was back and it was almost like that narrative of look, hard work discipline it, it will it will sort of get you through. And I remember there was a year, 2015, where we'd all sat in a, in a video room to, well, to forecast the fact that we were going to win a treble. We all agreed with each other that we were going to win a treble, so all three trophies that were on offer. And we understood the depth that it would take. We understood the sacrifice it would take, and we all put our minds to it. And at this point, I'd had a couple more injuries. I'd, I'd lost weight, but initially I'd 
put my size back on. I was wrestling again in the, in the, in the, in the tackling rooms. I was challenging again. I was competing. I was probably one of the first names on Team Sheep that year. And I would have gone through it. And I'm probably, I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm making like 50 tackles a game. And I'm like fully maximizing it. And there's, there's no break for me. You know, there's no break at all. I'm just going to the extreme. And we go to Wembley. We win a Challenge Cup. And at this point, I'm like, do you know what? depression and anxiety and, and all these things like you just need to work hard you just need to work hard and get over it and 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 you, you can be a champion you know that was like the sort of like the the elementary sort of like <laughs> guidelines that we get given and, and you try proving and so i'd we'd won that and and a few weeks after this this big victory that we had down there in, in challenge cup we um we had a league leaders shield, which is the second of three trophies that we went to win. And this was a night in Huddersfield um, where we'd be going to play this this almost final type game. And it would qualify us to get into the third final. And on that morning, and what had been going on through through that whole year for me, which was at the opposite end of the spectrum, was my nana was dying um, of melanoma. She was getting these vicious tumours on her face and on her body. And I was going over every couple of weeks to visit her and seeing her deteriorate. And, you know, seeing the photos of her and my granddad on the dressing room. And I remember seeing them and, like, getting that feeling that I'd get on a refill where you get a whack on your nose. And you're feeling like you're going to cry. And then all of a sudden it's like, don't cry, don't cry. You know, like that, that type of thing. So I'd be seeing this, I'd seeing this, and, and that league leader's decider, the second of the three trophies that, that we'd eventually go to collect. It was my nana's funeral. So I'd go over to Manchester in the morning, speak at my nana's funeral, go through all, all through that emotion. And at this point... Like I'm shot to bits emotionally, physically. The team shot to bits emotionally, physically. Like hung over from a victory down in, in London, and I go to the funeral. We go to the wake, and we actually decide to look at the artwork my nana had done when she was 60 years old. She decided to do a fine art degree at 60 um, to take something back for herself. I guess she'd been a great mum a great grandmother and she went do you know what I'm off to do this I've, I've got to go do it and the first time my twin sister had looked through her artwork properly and there were messages in there like don't vegetate cultivate some of the best ideas come out of the blue and I see these and I, I wrap them up I say I'm, I'm off over I've got to go for this game in Huddersfield so I go back over the motorway about an hour's drive to Huddersfield I arrive at the change rooms everyone's like visibly tired and this is a game that we need to win. This is a game that we need to win to, to do the treble. This is a game that we need to win because I'm like, I'm going to work so hard for this game, for this win, because of what I've just done. And what and, and obviously I have to play for my nana. And I can remember, I can remember saying around the change room, I can remember saying, look, fellas, we're going to have to put our bodies on the line for this one. I remember voicing it so clearly. And I'm 21 years old, by the way, at this point. And we go out for the game and I score in the first five minutes and I celebrate more than I ever have done. You know, and it's one of those things where you're like looking at the sky and you're like, that's for you. And go through the rest of the game. And it'll be to and fro in 
all the rest of the game. And we're not great as a team in form. I'm running around like a madman doing everything possible. And it gets to the last five minutes and we fall behind. And I take a ball from one of my teammates and it's, it's a something on nothing pass. He gives me the ball and I run to the line and I try to step off my right foot. But as I do, my knee just crumples beneath me, just crumples beneath me. And all of a sudden, my ACL has gone, so my anterior cruciate ligament, my meniscus, my cartilage is all shot. And the next thing I've been taken to the change rooms is a few minutes left of the game. I'm laying on the physio and looking at what looks to be an inflatable knee, really. And there's so many things running through my head. Um, one of them's thinking, are we going to win? What's going to happen? The other's thinking, what am I going to do about this? And then the next thing, the doctor runs in screaming because I've just heard the biggest eruption from the stadium that I'd heard. Toxa runs in and he's telling me Ryan Hall scored, our winger, one of the best wingers in the world, he scored in the dying seconds in the most famous dramatic tries ever in rugby league. And then I'm thinking, right, we're going to win. My bonus is going to be a lot better. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of these things. I'm like, and then it dawns on me, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, what about me? I'm like, what about me? And and and, and as well, something that I guess that I'd ask when I was younger, when I, I'd see my mum and she'd be unwell and, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I had this, this recurring thing, like, why do I keep getting injured? Why can't I do it? You know, and I'm just like, and I was left, I was left looking for answers because I didn't have that answer of what I had before. And I'm, I was lost. I was so lost. And what came after that was another venture into rehab, four operations on my right knee, uh, one on my right shoulder just for good luck. And I'm, I'm, I'm going through this year of 12 months being injured again and then play four games at the, the, the end of the next year. We've just won the treble. You know, we'd finished the treble. I was out injured and I've come back after 12 months after that point and play four games. And then I get picked for England, which is probably the moment where something had to change. And I get to England and... I was, I'll be honest, I was, I was, I felt like I'd lost a lot of meaning. You know, you, you say you're depressed, I felt like stuff didn't mean anything. I mean, it was elite performance. Obviously, there's pressure. I got told that I'd make my debut, but I didn't end up making my debut. So even more meaning is like drift, stripped away from me, stripped away from me. And I can remember sat. I, can't, I wasn't getting out of bed. I wasn't even getting out of bed for breakfast one day, which is like a lot. I'd just come into this England team and, you know, you think that you're going to be up out of bed, you're going to be doing all the things to impress. I didn't even get out of bed. And I remember like, in and around those first few days, just feeling so lost and isolated. I felt like a bit like an alien because 
everything that I was attached to, it, it was, I'd, I'd, I'd lost the purchase on it, if that makes sense. And I can remember sitting down and there's, there's a few moments in and around this period which significantly altered me or didn't alter me, just took some things away. And there's a moment where I was sat on the bed, sat on the floor with my back to the bed and it was sort of dark in the room and the, the windows was like looking over like Birmingham City. Um, and there was a bit of light coming through and I can remember just thinking, I felt so shocking, I felt so bad and I thought, if I can get out of this, not even thinking that I wanted to get out of it, I didn't even have the drive to get out of it, but if I could and I could find a way, then I would have to help people with it. And it was like, it was like almost that, that why was, was born in that moment for me. And I'm 22 years old. And I'm just like, this isn't what I expected. (laughs) This isn't what I expected at 22. But I think just the the amount of the, the cycle that I'd been on relentlessly at that point with all the operations and all the success and all the hard work and all the sacrifice, it was like uh, a real a, a, a landslide for me. And there was there was a moment I was at home with my parents and. I remember my parents were downstairs. I think they had the, they the fire on, they were watching TV, we just had dinner. And I'd gone upstairs to like my old room. And I was like, really like, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? I was like really lost. I didn't know what, why I was feeling like. I was like, yeah, I felt depressed for, I felt anxious. I was like, why, what do I feel? I feel like the world is like, <laughs> I'm losing grip. And really. And I can remember like just searching for context on my phone, searching for context, just like, why do I feel like this? And I found my way to some like website, um, which was talking about Dark Knight of the Soul. And I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God. And and, and almost like this tick box is where I felt. And one phrase that it said was, and it, and it, it completely just, changed me in a moment. It said, happiness is right under your nose. And I was like, of course it is. <laughs> you know? I was like, of course it is. And in and, and, and this moment where I felt the worst ever, the, the most suffering, even more than when I was injured and even more than not playing, it was like, it was, it, it impaled that, you know, it pierced through the membrane of, of, of how I felt, right through to the heart. And I realized metaphorically as well, 
or physically that my mum and dad were sat right under me, <laughs> you know, in, in the living room and the German Shepherd were in there and one of my teammates, one of my childhood heroes at Ryan Hall, who was coming to pick me up from 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 my home, from my mum and dad's home to go to England again. I'm like, ah, there it is. <laughs> you know? So it was yeah, some some real moments that were paradoxical or um, counterintuitive, but it made me understand that that was possible. And why do we not operate from that? You know, that's that's all what I was, I was left with. Thank you for sharing that story. I think it's. It's incredibly powerful. And I think, I know my listeners will be hearing that massive shift from the way it felt on the rugby pitch when it was just in the flow to the way you've just articulated incredibly vividly and honestly and in this vulnerable way, what it really felt like. And, And I know there'll be a lot of people who felt that. And I haven't talked about it before. So I think that's, that's incredibly powerful. My highlight of last week was I went to an event where Simon Sinek was speaking and I got to meet him afterwards. And we were talking about alone. And we were talking about it because when I'm kind of drawing the connections and the patterns in people talking about their unlocked moments. I've got this idea that one day will show up in the book that I haven't written yet of alone with others, which is an aloneness that can be quite positive in that moment of, you know, there's people around you, your parents, your partner, your German shepherd, your, you know, your teammates, people who are there for you, who care for you, who love you, who support you, who mentor you, all those kinds of things. And yet at the same time, for you to make the decisions you need to make to move yourself to the new place, you know it's on you. You know, so that's alone with others. And Simon was talking about, he was doing this event at the Royal Festival Hall, and he was talking about a particular time in his life where he made a move. He said, I made the move when I felt alone and lonely. So it wasn't just being alone, it was being alone and lonely, and he knew it needed to change. What resonates in that for you when you're thinking about that that moment in your life? I mean, yeah, I think that's really accurate to think that at that moment I did feel both of those things, and I wonder if if it was a shift from looking to belong in something else in a team uh, a system an environment it was a shift from my attachment to that to actually belonging to myself in a way you know and it was it was it was a kicking and screaming from 
that friction of fitting in, of 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 fitting into another version, and I understood that that was. I, I didn't have time for that. Uh, that's what was what he was telling me all these. Months. I didn't have time to to fit into it. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not on this planet for a long time at all, and I can say that now. But back then, I was terrified by the fact that I was having all these feelings and emotions, and it was probably the start of a moment where I started to try and not try, but understand what it was to belong to to yourself and. You almost have to be that longing, be that longing to to belong to yourself and understand the, how scary it is at times, you know, how scary it is and how fearful it is. And, you know, as an elite athlete, people ask a lot of the time, like, what what's the elite sport mindset and and what, what are the tips that, that you can take? And, what can I integrate into my life? And I'm almost like, do you want to know what it's like to be an elite athlete? You know, like, do you, do you really, I could tell you some bits of it, but mainly they'll be the outputs that, that you can see and that you can understand. But for me to carry on through those injuries and through that adversity mentally and to carry on after that for another five years, well, I, I, I'd, I'd come out of the abyss. <laughs> you know, I'd, got, I'd gone into the abyss to keep going and to keep doing it and to keep pushing myself and making these tackles. And the meaning was, I don't know, born through, through those moments to where I felt like I was becoming a leader for these rhinos and understanding people. I'd prob- I'm probably such a sensitive kid you know, a sensitive kid that was playing such a brutal game. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this war zone twice a week, and I'm like, all right, well, if this is what we're gonna do, I'm giving everything to it. There's no way that I'm, I'm going half-hearted. And also, I want you men around me to give everything. And what does that look like? You know, we'd have people coming in through Papua New Guinea and Tonga and. Some coming from Warrington and Wigan, which are even further afield to Leeds, you know. Not metaphorically, but you know, the tribal, the tribal nature of what we, where we live is so big, and you have to, you have to have a moment where the full team is is not venturing in in, in and around where I felt or, or what I experienced, but you have to have a moment where, listen, mate, all those things that you're thinking makes you a good player, and your thinking will serve the team are they your thoughts are they your thoughts are they your ideas because I don't think we've gone deep enough here because if we want to be playing 80 minutes in at Old Trafford in front of millions of people on the TV that's going to leave you you know those those thoughts are not your thoughts it's it's, it's, it's it's the thing that's always been powering you and fueling you for all these games the, the why that is so strong, you know, and, and I sort of, I think my individual experience that I had, I saw it in a team, in a collective as well, which probably helped me 
even though it was dreadful and even though I had so many more injuries and hurt myself so much more. That's that's how I like to that's how I like to see it anyway. It's so powerful and and I know listeners will be tuning into the story the story you're telling is not the one that people might assume a championship winning elite rugby league captain would be telling, which is don't quit, you know, um, keep running for the line, even when you're being hit left, right and center, you know, it's not that story at all. It's something very deep, very emotive. And you were 22. I had somebody else on the podcast who had an unlocked moment at 22 called Tyre Roxon, and uh, he's an advocate for diversity inclusion, and he was in a car crash. And he said as he was, he, a car knocked into him um, and, and caused him to hit the wall in a, on, a, on a motorway in the US. And he said as the car was spinning across the carriageway and he was, his life was flashing before his eyes and he was like, I don't know whether I'm going to survive this. He said the thought that came into his mind was, have you done everything that you want to do? And he came out, he got out of the car and he went, literally he said, right, 22, this is it. So interesting. And, and, and honestly, the, the, the power and intensity with which you just told that story is, is just the same. It's that clarity. You know, it is, it is the reason why I do this podcast and the reason why I want to bring these stories to life. The way, the way you tell the story is incredible. Take us forward to concussion you know fast forward a few years um and the year after after that that mum like 2016 it was less than a year where played another final but it was it was six days after i dislocated my left shoulder so there's another story in that but again i've had everything ripped away from me and i've gone into this final uh been written off by everyone the fact that i won't play but felt something stronger, felt something more meaningful than than what it was to put my body on the line again, you know. So I managed to play and we won this grand final and that that was that was a moment for me. Um especially proving to myself and to other people that, you know, alongside doing mentality at that point is that the biggest fear that we have is not going out and running through brick walls. The biggest fear that we have is almost our thoughts and our emotions. And I wanted to try, wanted to try and spell that out for, for my career and say something. You know, say something. I used to watch elite sports people on interviews, like just saying that we're going to kick on to next week and it's a game of two halves. I'm like, what are you saying? You're not saying anything. <laughs> What, what are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we watching this interview for? <laughs> you know? So uh, for me, that was mentality like, just come on, where, where are we going? What's going on here? There's more to it here. Or there's more that I feel to it. Um, so going through that period of my life took me to finally, after countless injuries and countless moments on the field and moments just firing through that that vulnerability in such a macho sport I'd got um, named captain 
and I got named captain at 26 and I remember playing on Boxing Day. We had a friend, we had a friendly on Boxing Day, day after Christmas, which is a lot of fun. Um, but it was a friendly, like a pre-season fixture to get to get ready for the season. And I played on Boxing Day and I got one at match and I remember we'd had five days off. So I'd gone to Gran Canaria with my partner, Natalie, and it was another moment, actually. We sat there and we'd got this camper van and we'd, we'd pitched up in Gran Canaria and we were looking over the sea. And um, I remember we was sort of sat there and really like visioning for the future, you know, like I'm captain and it's my club, it's my my city, it's my home and we're going to go and do something marvellous. And we, we ended up coming back from Gran Canaria, getting into pre-season. I was probably as fit as I'd ever had been in a pre-season and training all the time and, and leading the team and I'd done all these meetings for, for the team and in and around what we're talking about, getting, getting, getting that identity right and the why right before the season. And then in a friendly, the last friendly before the season, um, I got a concussion um, in the first half and the second half, really. After the game, I'm feeling the effects of it. And, you know, I'm just like, I just feel sick because of the nerves. I feel sick of the, the energy drinks that I've been having. But a couple of days later, I, uh, uh, still having headaches, felt dizzy, felt nauseous. I tell the doctor and and I rest up for a week and go through back through the protocol to to play in um, the start of the season where I lead the team out for the start of the season, Super League season. And unfortunately, in that game, I get another concussion, and the symptoms which. Uh, I'd had shades of before with, with that concussion and you know a couple of other moments in my career it just stuck it just stuck with me and you know that's three and a half years ago that's February 2020 and those symptoms have, have stuck with me now for three years migraines and dizziness light sensitivity motion sensitivity you know like being in cars and they, they vary quite a bit but um, chronically I'm still I'm still struggling and I think within all of that within all the the pain and the suffering and emotional stuff that's come up as well because I'm leaving a job that I've always done and what I've always known myself to be it's been it's been it's been pretty hard, man. It's been really hard. And physically, it's, it's a struggle. But I feel lucky that I've got such a purpose that has been like the guiding light for me. And it's also made me reconnect, as I said, with that playful, creative part of myself. And... I get what, what I like to call them in, in life, uh, the defensive lines that we create within ourselves that pretty much cut off, close off that full, authentic, 
true self. Um, and I've been able to go through those defensive lines in me, really, you know, in, in life. And, you know, the, the, the stuff with my mum when I was younger and being around women and, and, and the emotion and, and the depression of mum had and, you know, that, that's, that's put a line through me for relationships, you know, romantic relationships with my partners. And I've, I've got to a point where I, I understand that now. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect me, you know, and it was, I think it's Carl Jung. And I wanted to say this in a talk the other day, but I forgot, but it's a brilliant quote. He says, um, until we make the unconscious conscious, it'll rule the rest of our lives and we'll determine it as fate. So because I, that, I'll go into the line, I'll run through the line, but I'll also run through the line in, in my life, you know, the defensive line in my life. It's, it's, it's going into the abyss, it's bungee jumping into the darkness. And I say, why do I not feel good? Why do I not feel right now? What's going on? And I'll go to it. And I guess that's where you, you find the answers. And that's where you find the, the release, which just, I think, is all there in all of us. That authenticity is there in all of us. And that well-being, that innate health, that creativity is, 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 is there. And we just, we just move away from it. Simple, we just move away from it. I'm laughing because you're, you're pointing out sports people who go, it's a game of two hearts, and you're quoting Carl Jung <laughs> and making the unconscious conscious. We're, we're appreciating this on the unlock moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, mate, I've, I've, you know, I guess this, metaphorically you can say I've left the game. You know, I've, 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 I have left the game. I'm just saying this, look, this is it. I'm, I, I don't. I don't like messing about anymore. I don't have time to mess about, and that's why I, I'm, I'm a speaker now because I, I'm my lids popping because I'm out there and I want to tell people, you know, and well-being and performance don't have to be separate. Don't have to be because it's all there. It's all there. Transitions are hard. So you retired from the game because of this concussion and, and, and your chronic symptoms that you've had since then. And I work with a lot of people in different walks of life in coaching where they're in transition uh, from one career to another, from one role to another, from they've had to give up something that they can't do anymore because of age or because of injury or whatever it is, sometimes because of mental health. And for a lot of people, they struggle with the transition because they they feel a regret that they can't still do the thing they were doing before. And of course, that's, that's very normal to feel that way. What helped you to kind of close the chapter on your playing career and embrace a new chapter of what you do now? How fully I, I have closed the chapter. I know that in a plain sense, I've closed it. But I know that there's there's something within that arena that, that drives me, that energizes me, that is very much still alive, you know? And I know that because when I'm speaking to football coaches or scouts or, and we speak about the mentality for players and we speak about the confusion that can happen and we speak right about the thing that it is, 
I get tingles and I get like tingles up me, you know, and I'm like alive. So that is, I've not closed the chapter on that. And that for me pours into life for me off the field. But I also reckon that I'll be back somehow in the arena at some point myself and I think I'm just in terms of the, the, the playing and in terms of the the challenge and, and and what I'd be in my prime now, twenty nine, I'd be at the peak of my powers on the field. And um, I, I don't know what, what way you'd call it or what you'd say because I still watch it sometimes and I still get I still have those thoughts come up where there's bitterness or there's envy or there's all these things where I'm watching it and it's a part of myself which still still goes on but also and we all let go of something at some point in our lives and I think that's sort of the the crux of it and an acceptance of it and for me to sit here and say that I've done that all myself would, would, would be a complete lie because Natalie, my partner, has been a guiding light in my life entirely and some of the people that I've got around me as well. So that's that's helped. And maybe I'm still closing the chapter. I don't know. Um, but I also have a focus and a drive that that that's, that's bigger than just the rugby field, you know. When I'm working with people who are starting on that journey of transition, one of the things that I say to them, which a very wise mentor once said to me, was it takes a lot, lot more time than you think it does. So at that time, when you've just come out, you've just started the transition, you know, after a month, it feels like quite a long time. After three months, it feels like a really long time. I transitioned out of a role and, and honestly, it was, I mean, it was at least 18 months before I started to feel myself again and not feel sort of the inner turmoil of just coming out of, you know, coming out of a situation, you know, not at a time of my choosing, not in the way that I would have wanted it to be, all those kinds of things. Uh, in the dance world, I mean, when we were training as dancers, we, we were never, we, we were at a high level, we were in the competition at the high level, but we weren't at your level of achievement, but we were in, an, we trained in Academy in Italy with the multiple times world champions. So we were surrounded by people who were absolutely the best in the world, what they did. And I learned more about high performance in other fields in the dance studio, because you see the mentality of those, and you would have seen the same in, you know, the way you worked and the people around you work, that mindset of we're going to do whatever it takes to be the best at what we do. And we're not going to give in. We're not going to compromise. In a way that in the in the corporate world, in the in the outside world, it is unusual to find people with that sort of intensity of mentality. In the ten years since I retired, it's very recently, I was literally recording a podcast yesterday with my coaching mentor, and we were talking about she was talking about how I'm starting now to reconnect with what I know about people through and connection through dance in my coaching today. And I've probably spent 10 years not suppressing it, but it's just sort of compartmentalized. That was my dancing time 
And then since then, I've been doing other things in corporate roles and so on. Um, and I, I closed the chapter and didn't find a way to reintegrate it. And I'm now, what's interesting for me now, and this is emerging for me, is, is how do I come back into that world? Not to be a dancer, not to train dancers, not, it's not that. But it's how do I take all that stuff that's in me as a dancer and is in you as a rugby player, I come back to that eight-year-old and the way, you know, just the way you lit up when you described running through that line, turning to the sky, like, like that's, that's amazing and doesn't have to be just expressed on the rugby field. That, that for me is the thing. You know, what I'm learning now is how does that, in the dance world, you know, your partner dancing, the intensity of connection between two people, the, the flow I know exactly what to do with that, how to talk about it in the dance studio. I know that. I didn't know how to talk about it and do something with it in a coaching conversation. And I'm figuring out what to do with that. So that is interesting. There's something in that that I, that I think is really inter interesting to explore, that you take something that is incredibly natural to you, incredibly instinctive to you, and you apply it in a different context. That's interesting. It's, it's so true. And, and, and that's what I think has given me the incentive or the drive to create the, the talks, you know, the keynote talks. And I'll speak to so many different audiences. I don't really feel nervous going on because I'm like, this is me. Do you know what I mean? I'm, like, this, I'm, I'm not trying to fit into something. I'm just, this is just me pouring into it. And, and I remember seeing a quote which, which could, could round off what you've said. And it's by David White. Um, the poet has, has been amazing to listen to over the last few, few months for me. But he says that genius is all parts of yourself coming together. You know? And you think about authenticity. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's like, it's, it's, it's not just the sadness that you go into when, 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 when you're making the unconscious conscious. It's the, it's the, the creativity and the, the love and the joy and the courage and like just outright, just bite to just go and do something relentlessly and unapologetically. And that, that's what I love about it. And I, and I bring this piece of paper up on my talks, on my keynote talks, and I, 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 I portray it, present this beautiful, clean A4 white piece of paper in front of the, the audience. And I say, that's, that's us at our source. That's our well-being. That's our creativity. That's our drive. That's our love. That's everything you want to say, right? And I go through the talk and I fold this paper up and I talk about, you know, and I'll, I'll fold an hour talking about my mum when I come in and ask a question, what's wrong with me when I see her in the living room? Because I'm, I don't have the context to understand what's going on. And I'll crease it and I'll, and I'll talk about moments where you can't show emotion on a rugby pitch. And all of a sudden you get to this crumpled piece of paper that's, that's so small, it's inflexible. It's like what we've done to fit in. It's, it's our survival mechanism. It's our personal reality. So it's our personality. And we get to this point where we've just, just like folded so much away from what makes us happy, away from, from what is natural. And at the end, I, I talk about, you know, I sort of keep it a bit abstract throughout the talk about authenticity. 
and at the end, I'll say, I'll stand up with this piece of paper, this crumpled piece of paper. Everyone's got nervous and stressed. Why is he holding this flipping cardboard at the front? You know, what's he doing with this card? Why is he holding this card? And I get to the end, and I simply say at the end to end it, that authenticity isn't becoming something you think you're supposed to be. It isn't becoming something you think you're supposed to be. It is an allowance for your full self to unfold. And I'm unfolding this piece of paper at the, at the front of the audience. And pe- you can just feel people going, oh, God. <laughs> people are like, oh, he's unfolding it. Right, I get what that means now. But that's what it is, allowing, allowing it. And yeah, man, we, we, there's so many things in, in life where we talk about, we all have this intuitive knowing and understanding of, of it being that, but are we prepared to feel the fear, fear, fear the fear of failure and the fear of fulfillment, by the way. I think I feared fulfillment for a long time because I thought they'd take away my drive and it'd take away my bite and my sacrifice. But yeah, I'm taking yeah, I'm taking any, anything away. It's just it's just just presented what I know to be true and and he's and he's going for it as well now, you know, and and, and that's and that's where I'm at. Tell me more about mentality, what it is, what you're trying to do with it. Mentality. So mentality's been the vehicle for the last six years for me, really, in having these conversations and the podcast just like this one there. I'm loving this podcast, by the way, because it gives space and time. And um, that's what, what I love so much about these podcasts. We'll have guests on that might have been high-performance coaches in sport that have become spiritual gurus. We might have actors on. We might have athletes on. And just giving them the space and time to talk and you know I'll, I'll have my ex head coach on that was a Royal Marine commando boxer rugby league player and now a rugby league coach and you know he'll come on to this podcast and I'll say not a spa, it's not a Sky Sports job this is it I can't I can't just I just can't give you those answers guys said no mate you, you know you've sat down now you can't get away and that's what it's, that's what it is and I don't Pressure, I guess, because I've spoken about my story and that people come on, sort of understand that oh, actually I can maybe just open up a bit more, or just talk about what it's like really. And I've, it's been those conversations, mate, lost, lost in time and just, just pure like curiosity. And the podcast has really been a, a, a big lever of it. And we've got an apparel that sits alongside it and where we dedicate those funds to. To, to young people who are struggling mentally. And yeah, the workshops that we, we, we bring out for it, whether it's that's university or, or for, for corporate, it's, it's, it's a vehicle and there's many levers to it. And quite like me playing rugby where I had mentality alongside it and I guess I was the, the spearhead of it. For me now, the speaking is the spearhead, you know, and mentality is that, that vehicle which... When we when we we make a gap in the line, mentality comes in and, and serves. So that's a good enough explanation. Do you have a perspective on legacy? Not everyone does. I don't really. Yeah, I don't really think about it to be honest. I just think about today. <laughs> I just think about today, and I just don't think. 
legacy is. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I don't I don't value it above what's going on right now. To be honest, question I ask people often when they're in this transition coaching: Is it important to you? And if so, what is it? Lots of people go, it isn't. As you said, actually, lots of people go, it isn't. And they go, it might be one day, but I'm not there yet. That's interesting. Because when you asked me, I thought, am I going to get older and think about legacy? You know, like, is that something that, that eventually I will think of? But right now, mate, I'm still probably a bit wet behind the ears to, <laughs> to think about all that, think about everything else. But um, yeah, man, it's, uh, well, I guess that's something that other people determine, isn't it? Really? which is up to them. Last question. Um, gritty rugby league players who don't like to talk because it makes them sound soft. What's a place they can start to figure out how to open up? <laughs> Good question, that. Um, give me a shout. <laughs> give me a ring. Um, and then just, like, I think realise that what, what we do without knowing it is vulnerable, I think stepping over that white line is, is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do mixed in with a tenacity beyond um, any other level that, that we can imagine and just it just takes one person I think I think knowing what it's like in the rugby world there's a lot of people that speak outside the arena but but the, the welling up of courage and creativity and connection that comes from speaking with your teammates and having a context, a role in context through the season, you know, with, with meetings and and um, and organised sort of like structures where you have these kind of conversations as a team. You're not missing a tackle for your mate after them, you know. When you truly do it, you're not missing a tackle for you, mate. And that's my experience being at the Rhinos when we've, we've delved into it and we've gone into it. It's the real work. And find someone you can speak to, whatever shape or form that is. It might be a partner, it might be a counsellor, it might be just a, a mentor, but, but do it. Um, because it makes, it makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier. How can people find out more about you and the work you do? Uh, you can find the... I've got a Twitter and Instagram that are the same handles that I made back when I was 16. So that's um, Steve underscore Ward. Or you can go on my website, stevieward.co.uk. Or you can go on mentality.co.uk to find and dive into all those podcasts that you'll, you'll, be, you'll be swimming amongst for a long time. And she get into them. Incredible. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead for world-class athlete and mental health ambassador Stevie Ward. It was focusing on helping others that helped to lift him out of a dark place and inspire his journey to make a difference to others by opening up the conversation around mental health. Do you go and check out the Mentality podcast and support the work that Stevie and his team are doing? Stevie, Thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable, for sharing your story and for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Cheers, Doc. I absolutely love that, my mate. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. 
Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the Unlock Moment.